love God and love your neighbor. The great commandment is just as simple as that. Actually, I don't even think that you need a sermon today on that because I believe Lake Avenue Church is already living it. I'm not just saying that to make you feel good because I know you are here on a Sunday morning because you love God. That's, that's easy. But I've been in many churches and I've been in Lake Avenue Church long enough to know that the imprint that our church has made in our neighborhood. I'll just give you an example. We moved from Canada to Pasadena seven years ago, and we lived two blocks away from here at a place called Providence Missions Home. It's a missionary community. Then I was going to Fuller Seminary, and my kids were going to Blair Public School, and Joanne, my wife, was working for STARS, which was Lake Avenue Community Foundation at the time. Then one, sudden mo- one morning, it, it hit me suddenly that all these places we are connected to had integral link to Lake Avenue because Providence, Providence Mission's home was founded by a group of Lake Avenue church members. And Fuller Seminary started right somewhere in the basement of Lake Avenue Church. And Blair School has an ongoing connection with our community outreach division. And of course, Lake Avenue Community Foundation, which is, you know, they changed the name to a sexy, better name, but but it is still Lake Avenue Community Foundation. No other church, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years. I've been in four different countries. I've preached in different churches. I have never, ever seen a church that has that kind of deep-rooted connection to the neighborhoods. You know, we may not have multiple campuses, we may not have our own TV shows, our pastors don't have private jets, but, (laughs) but Lake Avenue is vastly different from any church ever I have ever seen because I strongly believe that Lake Avenue Church is a community that lives out the great commandment. So, Yes. (laughs) So I'm not really going to preach today. I'm just going to talk to you. Is that okay? Like, you know, between friends, right? You know, some conversation. It's funny when Jesus said the great commandment. It was nothing really shocking for them, too. Jesus basically picked two commandments which was already given to them, one from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus. So it was nothing new. They were like, wow. They didn't, no, they didn't go. There was nothing knew about it because they also thought that they are fulfilling this great commandment. And actually, the Jewish people at the time followed strictly the 613 commandments in the, uh, in the Mosaic law or Torah, right? And when they thought that was not good enough, they also created an oral Torah, which is called Mishnah, which would hundreds and hundreds of other commandments. So they were very meticulously observing the commandments of God. So they thought they were fulfilling the commandment. Their question was very different, though. Immediately following that, if you go to Luke's Gospel, they ask a very interesting question. They said, but who is our neighbor? Remember? Now, that's a good question, right? Who is our neighbor? Yeah, we we get it. We have to love our neighbor. But who is our neighbor? 
Now then Jesus, you know, as the custom is, Jesus, you know, always, Jesus never asks a question. Uh, Jesus never responds to a question or answers. Uh, he doesn't answer a question directly. He always refers them to a TV show, right? <laughs> and some of you are, what did he say? This is what happens if you miss church on a Sunday, right? <laughs> so Jesus always referred them to a story because there were no TV shows at the time. Right? That's why. Because this, this is a different paradigm of, of storytelling where we live in. So he told them a story which became very, very, very popular in our culture as the story of or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? You know the story. I'm not going to read it. Even if you are not a Christian, you would still know it because it's so culturally ingrained. It is ingrained in our culture. Essentially, what he said was there was uh, this gentleman who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Say, so let's, let's put it in our context, like maybe from Las, uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas, something like that. And on his way, he was mobbed by a group of bandits. And he was, not only that they stole everything he had, he was beaten to pulp and left, they left him for dead, right? And at that time, comes a priest and a Levite. And we don't have priests and Levites as we know. It's more like pastors, a pastor like me, right? Come along. And they were too busy. They were probably going to the church. They, were, they had a lot of stuff to do. So they just crossed the street. And that's exactly what it said. They passed by on the other side because they had more important things to do. And then comes the hero of the story who was a good Samaritan. And he grabbed this man. He, he just went to the other side. He met that man, and he took him, did some first aid, drove him to the nearby motel, and gave them his credit card and said, anything happens to this guy, put it on my bill, okay? I'm going to pay it. Now, that's an interesting story. And then Jesus, as he knows, you know, he doesn't, again, answer the question directly. Then he asked them to answer that question. Essentially, at the end of the story, Jesus gave them a multiple-choice question. He threw that question back to them. So Jesus said, who became a neighbor to this person? And then he gave him three choices, okay? These are the three choices. Can, can I have that slide? So what I call it, you know, three neighborhood roles. So if you really look at that story, there are three kinds of neighbors. We all have, in one way or the other, three kinds of neighbors who live by three different philosophies, and I'm sure we have met them somewhere, if not in your neighborhood, at some other neighborhood. The robbers live by the philosophy that what you have is mine, I will take it. I don't know how many of you have that kind of annoying, not that they come and rob you, maybe they, they just borrow that lawnmower or a toolbox and they conveniently forget to return. <laughs> or, or they might steal your peace of mind by blowing this loud music in the middle of the night. Or maybe they even rob your reputation by spreading rumors about you in the neighborhood. And I'm sure some of you must have had that kind of neighbors who are so drawn to that neighborhood role of philosophy where what you have is mine, I will take it. It's all about them, right? But most of us fall to the second category. I fall to the second category. 
which says that what I have is mine, I will keep it. You know, I, I'm not going to mess with you. I'll mind my own business, you mind your own business. You know, it just, you know, the, the, the idea of individualism is actually the foundational aspect of our social contract in, a, in the Western society, right? So we live by that rule. And we pass by the other side. We don't want to create any problem. That, that's what we do. That's what we are so used to do, right? And then comes the Good Samaritan, who basically applies the golden rule of the neighborhood, where he says, what I have is yours. I will share it. So you have three choices. Are you the neighbor who is going to take what others have, or are you the neighbor who is going to keep what you have, or are you the neighbor who is going to share what you have? Now, that's easier said than done. Eh? How do you share what you have? It's much easier for people like me, because I don't really have a lot to share. <laughs> but some of you, it might be a tough question. What, what am I going to share? Is he going to that next verse where you sell everything and give it up? No, no, I'm not going there today. Don't worry. <laughs> but, but what is the best, you know, when you share what you have with others, always start with the best thing you have. What is the best thing you have? What is the best thing you have? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, right? I, I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping you would say, at least for me, I did. <laughs> at least for me, that's the best I have, shareable <laughs> right now, okay? Jesus is the best thing we have. Huh. Yeah, so, <laughs> great. Came a little late, but good. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> but, so, so let's start by sharing Jesus. That's the best way to start becoming a good Samaritan. Share the best you have. Share the Jesus you have. Now, but, you know, it's so difficult, so awkward in a post-modern, post-Christian, pluralistic society to, to go and knock at somebody's neighborhood and, you know, just give them Bible. Don't do that. That's, they, will, they will misunderstand that you are a Jehovah Witness and all that. You will become an annoying neighbor. No, that's not the only way to share, share your faith with other people. And I'll give you three easy ways to do this. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry can do it, okay? So the, the, the three easy ways to share, yeah. You know, I'm, I, really, I really believe in the value of prayer. And we always think about prayer as this Sunday school understanding of prayer where you go and ask God for something and, you know, God gives to you. But prayer has multiple dimensions. There is something called prayer evangelism. I don't know if you haven't heard about this. And uh, prayer can take different forms, and that's what we he do here on Wednesday evenings. And as you probably know, we have something called Illumine Us, an evening meeting where we basically teach each other to pray. And every single evening we had, it was completely different from the week before because it, met, it, it kind of morphed into different dimension. When you pray with the Holy Spirit, that's the way it happens. But the easy way to do evangelism is start praying for your neighbor. Is that difficult? And I use singular because I don't want you to just pray, oh, Lord, we pray for Pasadena. Lord, we pray for Altadena. No, that's not the prayer for the neighborhood. Think about one or two people. That's all you need to pray. Think about one or two people and, and, and feel what they are going through. And be part of their life, at least in prayer, and pray for them specifically. Okay? And then number two is go for a prayer jog. 
Prayer jog is the same as prayer walk. We are used to prayer walk. But if you jog, it will be good for your health too, right? <laughs> can tuck your tummy a little bit. It's all prayer jog that's keeping this tummy as far as... You know what I mean, right? So you go, you walk through the neighborhood, and you go for a morning jog through the neighborhood, and nobody should know that you are actually praying for them, but just keep praying for each house and any person you meet. That's a great way to do it. And then the third one is, again, you don't have to initiate it. And I promise you, if you really pray for your neighbor, if you really smile at them when you see them when, on your prayer walk, one day, and I promise you, one day, they're going to talk to you. They're going to ask you, who, you who, who are you and what are you doing? And at that point, and eventually, they will start sharing their concerns, sharing the troubles they are going through. At that point, it is quite okay to say that, can I pray with you or can I pray for you? Now, even if they don't believe in God, even if they, they think that this is all some kind of fairy tale nonsense, they will appreciate the fact that you ask them, can I pray for you? Because that shows that you care for them. That goes a long way. That goes a long way than any apologetic seminars you can present to them. Does that make sense? So prayer is a great way to share the gospel with others. And once you are done, then the next thing you can do is very easy. Food, that's the next thing people like. So if you go to the next slide, I'll quickly show you. So this is our backyard back in Toronto, Canada. That's the only time we had a backyard. We live in an apartment most of the time, even now. And when we had this apartment in a, a neighborhood called Leeside in Toronto, Canada, we used to have this neighborhood parties. I can't even tell you how many people my wife fed uh, with the exquisite <laughs> culinary skills. And people will come when you throw a party, particularly you, you attach some exotic names to it, say tandoori barbecue or something like that. It's just the same barbecue. You just put some tandoori paste on it. And people love it. People love it. It's just, whoa, <laughs> you know, just, just nothing. And then, yeah, so if you go to the next page, so you can see our backyard kind of turns into a little gazebo. It, it was a very tiny thousand square feet house, but it had a reasonably good backyard, so people will come and have fun. And then the next slide. And uh, yeah, so in the basement, all the kids will be playing around, and our daughters, you know, they were still babies at the time, they will do the babysitting for the other babies. And then if you go to the next slide, yeah, at the end, we will say, this is one of the many parties we have done. At the end, we will say, let's all sing some songs, right? That's where it starts. And we will start singing a song, and everybody will gather after the dinner. And then the next slide, that's the deck. That becomes a stage where the, the person who's playing the guitar, Jim Dell, was actually a friend of mine, and we used to go to the same church. Everybody else, they didn't have a proper church, right? And then his, it's just his daughter who's playing the piano there. She is actually doing uh, music majors at University of um, British Columbia, I guess, right now, but back in the days. And we will sing worship song, and in the end, you know, they asked me to preach because they know that I'm a preacher. They say, hey, you should preach, man. Like, you should pray. And they will ask, because it's my house anyway. So, you know, so, <laughs> so we, we did this kind of things, and it was incredibly amazing. We formed a community that I'm not exaggerating. Even this month, I got at least three emails from these people 
from that people, you know, from that little group, saying that, Matthew, when are you guys going to come back? Because you guys said you're going to go to Fuller for two years, get your PhD, and come back. That was seven years ago. What happened? <laughs> You know, it's kind of that friend, friendly neighborhood, you know, being, being a Samaritan in so many ways, a stranger in that neighborhood. And as you can see, what is the one thing that sticks out from that, from that picture? Because it was a very rich, affluent, and very white neighborhood. And I, we were the, you know, 12 years ago when we moved in, we were the, we were the first non-white family to move in that neighborhood. But I'm telling you, that people loved us like gold. They still do. Even though we were the other, we were the Samaritans, it is the way you position yourself, right? When you go back into your neighborhood, you are going to be the Samaritan just because you are bearing the cross. You may be a white person living in the white neighborhood. It doesn't matter. You are still the Samaritan because you carry the cross. You might be a black person living in the black neighborhood. It doesn't matter. You are still going to be the Samaritan. But it is the job of the Samaritan to cross the street and take the initiative. And that's where the love of God, the great commandment of God, is manifested. And this is being done in this church. Too.